This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we discover the story of Battle Abbey's relics. To my surprise, I found that nobody had ever really looked at it. So I was the first person in 500 years to read through it and make a transcription of it and realise the significance of the 175 or so relics listed in it. We'll discover how they got there. The founding monks from Battle Abbey came from a French abbey called Marmoutier near Tours, and it must have been the case that the monks themselves brought a collection. But a very, very important gift of relics was made to the abbey by William the Conqueror. And we'll find out why they've since been destroyed. If you're just discovering us, the English Heritage Podcast is here with new episodes every Thursday, so make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. Now, this week, we're discussing how Battle Abbey came to be home to a large collection of saints' relics. Today, Battle is an East Sussex town that is famous for its battlefield, where William the Conqueror defeated King Harold at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And it's also the home to the Benedictine monastery that William founded afterwards, at which well over 100 holy relics were venerated. Joining me to discuss how and why this happened and what's happened to those relics since is Senior Properties historian Dr Michael Carter. Michael, thanks for coming back on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. So first of all, how do we define a relic? Oh, that's an interesting question. Relics are basically bits of holy people, objects associated with them, even the ground on which they stood, which came to be venerated and to some extent, was thought to possess magical properties, curative properties, and aids to contemplation, you know, a real focus of veneration. And do these relics have to relate to saints, or would they be related to other sort of religious figures like Jesus Christ? Um, Yeah, I mean, the the, the very holiest of all relics are those, there's a real hierarchy of relics, and the very holiest of relics are those associated with Christ's life on earth, For instance, his nativity, of miracles he performs, uh, but most of all, relics associated with his passion, with his death. So the best relic of all to have in the Middle Ages would be a relic of the true cross, what was thought to be a piece of wood from the very cross on which Christ died and was crucified. In a sort of roundabout way, we're talking about, uh, and this isn't to be pejorative at all, almost mementos souvenirs, memorabilia in a a strange way of the religious past? Yeah, they are memorabilia, but they're much, much more powerful than that. They're imbued with so much more significance and so much more holiness. And so often they do have miraculous prowess. Yes, of course. I mean, we're talking about God potentially here, so they would be extremely important. Yeah. How important were they to people's religious beliefs in the years and centuries following the establishment of Battle Abbey? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the veneration of saints' relics goes back to the early church and the importance which they have in uh, medieval Christianity is shown by the number of occasions on which relics feature in the narrative of events leading up to, during and in the immediate aftermath of the Battle of Hastings. And for instance, one of the justifications for William's invasion of England is that King Harold, the claimant to the English claimant to the throne, had sworn an oath on holy relics to respect 
William's claim to the English throne. And he breaks that oath. And that was considered to be an act of the most appalling sacrilege. And some early sources mention that during the Battle of Hastings, William wore the very relics on which the oath-breaker Harold had sworn this oath around his neck during the Battle of Hastings. Ah, right. So that's probably why he felt he was going to win as well. Harold had a very, very large collection of relics as well, which he gave to Waltham Abbey, just north of London now. Um, so he was a deeply religious man as well. You know, Both sides would have been turned into the same god and seeking the intercession of the same saint during the Battle of Hastings. And I think, you know, we have to remember that history is normally written by the winners and William won the battle. And, you know, the historiography of events surrounding it will present a very, very positive picture of William and an unfavourable picture of Harold and what could be worse in the Middle Ages to be sacrilegious and to be an oath-breaker, especially an oath sworn on the relics of saints. I can understand that. So are they still regarded as important to Christian beliefs today? I mean, relics still do have a very important part in, especially in Roman Catholicism, and increasingly so actually in the Anglican Church. But we have to remember that they were attacked, physically attacked indeed, not just in polemic, in the mid-16th century during the Reformation. And indeed, one of the justifications for the closing down of the monasteries, the destruction of their fabric was that they were seeing as providing a training in superstition, in the words of one late medieval um, Reformation contemporary, by fostering the veneration of relics. But if you think that, you know, John Newman, an English cardinal, has just been created a saint by Pope Francis, and there'll be relics of him, which will be, I'm sure, will be credited with performing miracles. But going back to the main purpose of our discussion on the podcast, what did you discover about Battle Abbey's particular relics and how did you find it? Well, you know, relics are mentioned on numerous occasions in the Abbey's 12th century chronicle. And whilst doing some research on the Abbey, about five years ago, I was looking at the surviving manuscripts and I came across an inventory of relics, a list of relics mentioned in a library catalogue. Most of the books and uh, other manuscripts are in battle are now over in the Huntington Library in California. They've been there since the 1920s. And I saw this mentioned in this catalogue and I I just assumed that being in such a well-known library, it would have been intensively studied by scholars. And to my surprise, I found that nobody had ever really looked at it. So I was the first person in 500 years to read through it and make a transcription of it and realise the significance of the 175 or so relics listed in it to the devotional life of the monks at battle and also what the relic tells us about the hmm. abbey's enduring connection with its royal patrons. So did you have to go to the States for this? I don't think my English heritage expenses would have run to that. I can reassure members that we don't waste money. But no, the Huntington Library were incredibly helpful and sent me um, high-res images of the four pages of the manuscript that the relic list covers. So it's four pages, and how many items on the inventory? There's about 175 individual relics listed, and that's about what you'd expect for a relic list from such a wealthy and prestigious monastery. We've got to remember that Battle was one of the great Benedictine abbeys of medieval England. Mm. And all these monasteries would have had a collection of relics. And and the list is often, the relics in their possession are often in keeping with the status of the monastery. So you'd expect Battle to have about that many relics. When do they 
establish themselves at the Abbey? Is it shortly after the Abbey is established? The founding monks from Battle Abbey came from a French abbey called marmoutier Tour, and it must have been the case that the monks themselves brought a collection of relics with them to their new monastery. Relics are essential for the even today to the establishment of any new church. Relics are always embedded in an altar. But they would also have brought a collection of relics um, which would have been placed in altars and reliquaries and in the abbey's sacristy. But a very, very important gift of relics was made to the abbey by William the Conqueror. The uh, Abbey's Chronicle describes how on his deathbed he made a bequest of relics to the monastery, which is said to have been held in the Anglo-Saxon royal treasury. So it's a combination of William the Conqueror himself and his monks from France. France, yeah, the, the, the founding community of battle. But then there's evidence of continuing acquisition of relics as well. It isn't just um, King William who favours Battle Abbey with gifts of relic. We also know that King John, who didn't have a very good relationship with the church at all, makes some very, very generous gifts of relics to Battle Abbey as well. Um, right. a, a manuscript from the monastery describes how in 1200 he visited Battle and um, marked the occasion by presenting the monks with two of the very, very holiest of relics of all, a relic of the Lord's sepulchre, that's Christ's tomb, and also a portion of the true cross. And these are said to have been collected by his brother, King Richard the Lionheart, and whilst on crusade in the Holy Land. Now we know that Richard, although the crusaders never reached Jerusalem and its holy places, ransomed from Saladin, relics of the Holy Sepulchre and other places in Jerusalem and also is said to have acquired whilst in the Holy Land a relic of the True Cross. So to the medieval mind these relics couldn't have had a better provenance and would have been accepted as being genuine. That's fantastic. As you say around 200 years after the actual Norman Conquest there's still relics uh, coming into the possession of the Abbey there so... Yeah, from royal gifts. And we also know that the monks themselves are acquiring relics through gift exchange. For instance, in 1175, Odo, a monk of Christchurch, Canterbury, that's Canterbury Cathedral, was elected abbot of battle. And he had been prior of uh, Christchurch at the moment when Thomas Becket was murdered in his cathedral on the 29th of December, 1170, by those four knights believing they were acting on the orders of Henry II. And in the battle list is a relic of the skull of Thomas Becket. Now, that's a very, very good relic of Becket to have indeed. And it must surely have been the case that Odo brought with him to battle that relic of Thomas Becket. So there's a few really interesting relics in that collection, shall we say. Um, Can you think of any other particularly unusual ones in the list? Oh, oh, I found them all interesting and and fascinating. But one thing that really did strike me was the preponderance of Spanish relics in the list. Now, the greatest pilgrimage centre after Rome in Western Europe was the shrine of St. James the Great, one of Christ's apostles, at Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. Now, Abbot Alan de Kettling is known to have made the pilgrimage to Santiago in 1330-1331. And there are numerous very, very rare Spanish relics in the battle list, which aren't found in any other 
English relic lists from the Middle Ages, nor indeed, I must have to say, are some of the of the saints very common in Spain either. And I think it's surely the case that the abbot of such a prestigious and wealthy English Benedictine monastery was being given these relics whilst visiting monasteries on the pilgrimage route on the Camino to Santiago. Another thing that struck me was the number of quite rare early British and Irish saints that are in the list, um, especially ones associated with Western England. Now, Battle had two dependent priories in Western England, St Nicholas in Exeter, and also one to St John the Evangelist at Brecon in Wales. And in the list there are saints which are closely associated with the region around those two priories and are very, very rare indeed in other English medieval lists. And there are also some quite exotic relics in the list as well, and ones which, actually, we have to say, since 18th century, even the Catholic Church hasn't recognised as being legitimate. For instance, they had a bit of the Ark of the Covenant and the Rod of Aaron, um, biblical patriarch. Wow. So a real collection of um, really important artefacts, and from a wide range of geographical locations, by the sounds of things, as well. Where were they stored, then, at Battle Abbey? The list opens by saying that the relics are kept in a phylactery, a box made of precious metal and shining with gems. And that description, although it dates from the 15th century, is very, very close to a description of a reliquary made at the beginning of the 12th century to house the Abbey's relics. Now, it's likely that they would either have rested on an altar, this relic would have rested on an altar, or perhaps even had been placed behind the high altar. The church at Battle is extending after the fashion of Westminster Abbey, which was a great pilgrimage church behind the high altar with a walkway around it to give the relics extra status. We also know of other reliquaries in the church at Battle. There's a description of the 12th century of a reliquary of the apostles, which is described as being to the north of the cross in the church. And on one of the altars, there was also a reliquary of a St. Beninus, who was a French saint. And that was a very, very popular relic indeed at the battle, receiving a lot of offerings from lay people until the very moment of the Abbey's suppression in 1538. Mm. So more or less inside the Abbey, but in various locations yeah, and boxes. Yeah, I mean, the, the main collection is kept together in one reliquary or shrine. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the relic list doesn't tell us where that is, but piecing together evidence from other major medieval abbeys and great churches. There's a number of possible locations for it. Could have rested on an altar, could have rested behind the high altar, a very prestigious location, or even perhaps just stored in the abbey's sacristy, a very secure place in which to keep relics. Yeah, of course, where they keep the sacramental wine and Mm. robes and all that sort of thing. Okay, that's really interesting. So if you are visiting Battle Abbey and you're going to the spot famously where Harold is supposed to have fallen... Would it be within that area of gravel where that building originally stood? You wouldn't be far off. That's the site of the high altar of the church as first built in the late 11th century, and that would definitely have had relics associated with it. Mm. Beyond that, you can see a major extension added to the church in around about 1300 or perhaps a little bit earlier. The location of the high altar would have been pushed eastwards, and it's quite possible that the reliquary was associated with that structure. So essentially, you could walk in the footsteps of where those monks were carrying these relics around. Oh, and You know, if you're walking around the church at battle, you will be walking 
on the ground where those relics would have been processed around the monastery and been venerated by the monks. That's really exciting. What's happened to them now? You've got your list of 175 that um, you discovered. Where are the relics? The relics would have been targeted for destruction when the monastery was suppressed on the orders of Henry VIII in 1538. One of the justifications for the suppression of the monasteries was that because of the relics which they kept in their care. And monasteries were described in the words of one contemporary as providing a training in superstition. They were thought to be superfluous to a new Bible-based religion based on faith alone. And the miracles and the good works associated with relics have no place whatsoever in this new reformed religion. And deliberate attempts were made to ritually humiliate relics in some cases, to show that they had no power, to undermine people's faith in them. And Thomas Beckett's relics may even have been burnt then placed into a cannon and fired out of them to prevent them being gathered up again and venerated. In some instances, we know of the monks or people in the locality making determined efforts to save relics to whom they were especially devoted. And in that way, what are believed to be the relics of St Chad and St Ethelreda survived and were found walled up in the houses of Catholic gentry in the 19th century. What exactly happened to the battle relics is unrecorded. The monks might have made an attempt to save some of them. If they did, it's not recorded. And the precious metal reliquary that contained them would just have been carted off to the Tower of London and broken up for its financial value. To the monks, the financial value of the reliquary would have been nothing compared to the spiritual value of the relics contained within it. Bearing in mind that spiritual value then, how often would they have been venerated and taken out of their storage locations and and held and and that sort of thing? Relics clearly from the very beginning in the Abbey's history play a very, very important part in its religious life. The reliquary that which Abbot Ralph is described as having made to contain the Abbey's collection of relics, many of which had been given by the Conqueror, was considered so important that the local Bishop of Chichester grants special spiritual privileges to people who visited battle as pilgrims to venerate the relics there. And we know of pilgrims also descending on battle in the 12th century because of a series of miracles which took place in the church. And although it doesn't seem to have established itself as a major pilgrimage destination, there is intriguing evidence going right to the end of the Middle Ages of people making regular and at times fairly significant financial contributions to the shrines of individual saints and to the abbey's relics in the hope that this would secure the intercession by the saints whose relics were present at the abbey, intercession with Christ and God so their prayers would be answered. Interesting. So it was, in some respects, what we might view as today a museum, but it was also a, a spiritual location as well. You know, it's almost it, like a spiritual museum. Relics were curiosities to some extent. You know, people would travel long distances to see them and they'd write guides about visiting major pilgrim destinations. But the primary motive of people visiting and venerating relics was religious. They hoped to obtain spiritual benefits from doing so. 
Battle Abbey was obviously one place that housed religious and, uh, and saintly relics. What about other English heritage sites? Do they have any? St Augustine's Canterbury, the monastery established by St Augustine when he arrived in England to convert the English at the end of the 6th century, was the home not only to his relics, but those of numerous other very, very important holy personages. In fact, any English heritage site, monastic site that you go to, will have had relics. And often they're quite closely connected with the monasteries themselves. For instance, Revo Abbey in Yorkshire was home to the relics of two of its early and very, very saintly abbots, the Abbot William, who first founded the monastery, and Aylred, its greatest abbot, who ruled there between 1147 and 67. But arguably the greatest relic of all from an English heritage site was the holy blood of Hales. Now that was believed to be a portion of the very blood shed by Christ on the cross. And it was presented to the abbey towards the end of the 13th century by Earl Edmund of Cornwall. And the abbey church was rebuilt on a magnificent scale to provide a fitting setting for the relic, for this holiest of relics, which had the best of all possible medieval provenances, a legends taking it right back to the time of Christ's crucifixion. But Hales was one of the relics that was deliberately targeted for destruction at the Reformation. Anne Boleyn is said to have taken a special interest in the discrediting of the relic at Hales. So how many years are we looking at between the establishment of these relics at Battle Abbey following the Battle of Hastings and then the Reformation? Is it sort of... Well, it's, 500 know, um, years? Battle Abbey is, yeah, it's, it's the best part of 500 years. The traditional English historiography tells us that, oh, this thing had all seen its day, and gosh, how pathetic all these things were, and this is the true light of progress descending upon the English, and, you know, it's every Englishman and woman's God-given right to be a Protestant, and it's set us on our path to becoming a modern, enlightened nation. Well, veneration of relics continues to this day and there are also quite a lot of what can only be described as secular relics as well. So what does that mean? Well I was struck by two incidents in recent years. First of all when I was researching the relic list I noticed that on eBay somebody had paid £51 to buy a coffee cup that Jeremy Corbyn had drunk out (laughs) of. Now it immediately reminded me of what's called a contact relic. Now, that's something which has come into contact with a holy personage or has been touched to a relic or the shrine of a holy personage and is thought to possess some magical powers because of it. And then just a few weeks ago, I noticed that somebody paid a quarter of a million dollars for a stained cardigan worn by Kurt Cobain. Now... If you're shelling out that amount of money on something, you're looking for more than a memento of somebody. You think that 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 object is imbued with significance. There's something of the essence of the person who possessed that object. It's still contained within it. Now, you know, loads of people to this day and people who would regard themselves as being very, very rational and, you know, dare I say, a disciple of Richard Dawkins will have rituals in their life or will hang on to things because it recalls something for them. It's very, very special for them. And, I, and the way in which relics speak to essential human needs and human emotions was explored in a brilliant way recently, an exhibition at a museum in Utrecht, which looked at relics 
not just from medieval Christianity, but from all the world's great religions and also modern secular relics. Mm. And I was left with an overriding impression, an overwhelming impression that the medieval veneration of relics, the veneration of relics in the Catholic Church today is part of a much, much wider human phenomenon. Indeed, is there something innate in our nature which makes us want to cling on to or imbue objects associated with loved ones or people we associate as being very, very important? Do we want to have close proximity to them? Do we sort of think we derive some sort of power or solace from these things? Looking back in history then, Michael, we can obviously see the evidence for relics having a real draw on the peoples of the time and and why they were effectively outlaws during the Reformation. But were they a dangerous thing? Is that why they were partly destroyed during the Refora- Reformation? To some extent, they were just seen as being superfluous and nonsense. But also, you get a real sense from the writings of some religious reformers and and the ferocity of the anger that they direct against them, that they're, they're frightened of them, that they know that people are making close emotional connections with them, that it's building up a sense of loyalty to those institutions which are housing them. And what better way of showing that relics are powerless and that the institutions which have been housing them are fraught and the monks' prayers are worthless by humiliating the relic, destroying images of saints, and the wrath of God then doesn't descend upon them. And it's like, hey, it was a powerful weapon in the armoury of the reformers, was destroying relics, of undermining people's confidence in relics, because that meant that people started to question the whole religious belief system that was underpinning them. Going through this entire research project, as you did uh, about five years ago, and, and discovering these 175 relics on this inventory, what did you learn about relics themselves and also your interest? Did you, did you get a, a feeling when you were going through this research of coming across something quite powerful? Yeah, so it's almost five years since I first came across it, and a scholarly article which I wrote on the transcription and analysis of it has only just seen the light of day. Academic publishing can be very, very slow indeed. And it provided really fascinating insights for me into the history of Battle Abbey, the monastery's intimate connections with its royal founder and how these were sustained, the international outreach of the monastery, just how cosmopolitan it was. And I became a medieval historian because I was emotionally touched by the buildings, the fabric of medieval England, the ruins of the monastery. And the inventory provided for me really, really valuable insights into the religious culture of the monks, the belief system which underpinned their daily life, and also of just how cosmopolitan they were in their outlook. You know, the international nature of the inventory, the fact that they're collecting relics from Spain, relics that must have come from Constantinople. You know, battle was no backwater, and the monks there had a real international reach. What is it about relics, and and just memorabilia, um, if you want to look at it in a modern context, what do they hold on us? They're tangible reminders. They're surviving physical evidence from things which have lost. So many of us will have what's effectively a modern secular relic 
of somebody we held in great esteem or hold in great esteem or a, or a memory or an event that's very special for us. And it's not just a prompt of memory as well, but it's also all too often a source of comfort and we all need comfort in our lives. And I suppose while we're still alive, connecting us to the past. Yeah, that's what the, you know, the relic inventory was, a fascinating connection with the past. So little remains of the possessions of Battle Abbey. Determined efforts were really made at the time of its suppression. And this relic inventory, for me, really, really brought to life the religious culture of the monks, their international outreach, their connections with other Benedictine monasteries, and, to put it quite simply, just how splendid Battle Abbey was. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out more about the history of Battle Abbey or plan a visit, just head to the English Heritage website. Next week, we're at Audley End to celebrate the release of a new cookbook featuring some rather older recipes. I would have to go for the amber pudding. And it's a very simple steamed suet pudding with a lot of orange marmalade in, and it's really good. Thanks for listening. See you next time.